Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I'm David. And I'm Scott. This is episode 51 of this podcast, and we are moving through Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. So, Scott, you want to catch us up to where we've been? Yeah, so we we started off uh, just briefly discussing Thomas Brooks and his life, and then we've made it through, just most recently, the first device to draw the soul to sin, which, as he words, is to present the bait and hide the hook, uh, which is to make it to, for us to see the sweetness, if you will, of sin, but not uh, not think on the penalty therein, whether it be a you know like a temporary, like an earthly penalty, or just the fact that it removes us from the graces of the Lord. And so uh, he 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 spent he gave us four remedies to that one, and now we begin today on a new device to draw the soul to sin, which would mm. be device number two. All righty, and so Brooks writes for us. Device two, by painting sin with virtue's colors. Satan knows that if he should present sin in its own nature and dress, the soul would rather fly from it than yield to it. And therefore he presents it unto us not in its own proper colors, but painted and glided over with the name and show of virtue, that we may the more easily be overcome by it, and take the more pleasure in committing it. Pride, he presents to the soul under the name and notion of neatness and cleanliness and covetousness, which the apostle condemns for idolatry, to be but good husbandry and drunkenness to be good fellowship and riotousness under the name and notion of liberality and wantonness as a trick of youth. Wow. Yeah, okay, so that's a packed little paragraph right mm-hmm. there. And I'm very much looking forward to exploring this. Uh, I think the first thing is, you know, we talked about the timeless nature of truth. And if there is ever a timeless device that Satan would use, it would be to call evil good and, and good evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so you see this in this way. Like, I think this just in terms of, you know, from a contemporary standpoint, we see this in the virtue, if you will, of tolerance. Mm. Right now, the way the virtue of tolerance is described in our culture is it's not just that I have to tolerate the existence of differing viewpoints and be willing to engage those intellectually. It's that I must wholesale accept those things as good and right and true. And if I were to do that, well, now I'm a quote unquote good person or a good Christian and to not have that level of tolerance for any number of views in our culture is to be considered a bad person. I think it's Carl Truman that says the greatest sin that anyone can commit right now in the cultural eyes is the sin of intolerance. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, so we see this, there are any number of ways we see this even in the Christian life, you know, like oh, yeah. the self-esteem movement in so many ways is really just a whitewashing of the first thing that he talks about here, which is pride. Right. You know, and nowhere does the Bible say for you to feel good about yourself. It just doesn't say that. It's just not in there. And, and you know, and so we would paint that as a great virtue. So, anyway, I just said more words than Brooks did. But that, <laughs> man, that's good. Yeah, it's so, there are so, he only lists just a few examples. But there are so many different ways that the evil one paints sin with virtue's colors. Yeah. I, you know, I think about... I think about the the phrase that I hear every so often of, well, 
you, you know, you get caught in a lie and you say something to the effect of, well, I, I did this for good reasons. Oh, yeah, right. I, 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 I was trying to protect you right. from this by lying right. to your face. Right. Or I was trying to make this work out better for everyone if, if only the truth didn't actually come out. Then, I mean, it's just there's so many different ways that we can we can sin and yet try to paint it as uh, you know we say things like the end justifies the means. Well, that's no, 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 no. actually, no. And so, there's just so I'm 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 with you. I'm eager to see what remedies yeah, Brooks yeah. has for us. So I'm curious, David. Does Brooks write any remedies? Indeed. Indeed he does. Remedy number one. Oh, there we go. Consider that sin is never a whit the less filthy, vile, and abominable by its being colored and painted with virtue's colors. A poisonous pill is never a whit the less poisonous because it is gilded over with gold. Nor a wolf is never a whit the less of wolf because he hath put on a sheep's skin, nor the devil is never a whit the less a devil, because he appears sometimes like an angel of light. So neither is sin any whit the less filthy and abominable by its being painted over with virtue's colors. Yeah, so one of my favorite parts of the part of the country that we do ministry in is the different um, colloquialisms that we get to adopt as we mm. do ministry together. One of them goes this way. If I put perfume on a pig and lipstick, makeup, everything else, do you know what it still is? Still a pig. Still a pig. I, I mean, that's really it. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what he's saying. You know, just because, you know, just because you call it good. Doesn't make it any good. Doesn't make it good. Yeah. 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 It doesn't make it any less what it is. Yep. And we do that, right? So often in our own personal lives, the attempts to justify our behaviors are exactly that. What we're trying to do is to to, to call sin good. Yeah. Remedy number two, that the more sin is painted forth under the color of virtue, the more dangerous it is to the souls of men. This we see evident in these days by those very many souls that are turned out of the way that is holy and in which their souls have had sweet and glorious communion with God into ways of highest vanity and folly by Satan's neat coloring over of sin and painting forth vice under the name and color of virtue. This is so notoriously known that I need but name it. The most dangerous vermin is too often to be found under the fairest and sweetest flowers. The fairest glove is often drawn upon the foulest hand, and the richest robes are often put upon the filthiest bodies. So are the fairest and sweetest names upon the greatest and the most horrible vices and errors that be in the world. Ah, that we had not too many sad proofs of this among us. Man, fairest and sweetest names upon the greatest and most horrible vices and errors that be in the world. That's just a great sentence. I mean, yeah. you know, that some of the worst things that we, some of the most horrible atrocities that we commit against the name of God, we try to put very 
pleasant and cutesy little labels on mm-hmm. and call them something other than sin. And we could spend two hours just talking yeah. about the way we see this in the culture. And it's a little bit what Brooks is saying in this paragraph. He's like, I, I don't have time. To, to go through to go through all the ways that we do this, but this is just a thing that we do. This is a thing we do, yeah. And it, I love, I love the way he starts. That the more it's painted forth under the color of virtue, the more dangerous it is. That the more Satan uh, sees to draw out and and make this seem attractive, it is more and more dangerous. It yep. should be, it should be treated with more and more caution and more and more fear, but yet oftentimes not. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Mm. That's good. Okay. Remedy number three. We're rolling. To look on sin with that eye with which a few hours shall we see it. Ah, souls, when you shall lie upon a dying bed... And stand before a judgment seat, sin shall be unmasked. And its dress and robes shall then be taken off, and then it shall appear more vile, filthy, and terrible than hell itself. Then that which formerly appeared most sweet shall appear most bitter, and that which appeared most beautiful will appear most ugly, and that which appeared most delightful will then appear most dreadful to the soul. Ah, the shame, the pain, the gall, the bitterness, the horror, the hell that the sight of sin, when its dress is taken off, will raise in poor souls. Sin will surely prove evil and bitter to the soul when its robes are taken off. A man may have the stone who feels no fit of it. Conscience will work at last though for the present one may feel no fit of accusation. Laban showed himself at parting. Sin will be bitterness in the latter end, when it shall appear to the soul in its own filthy nature. The devil deals with men as the panther doth with beasts. He hides his deformed head till his sweet scent hath drawn them into his danger. Till we have sinned, Satan is a parasite. When we have sinned, he is a tyrant. Whoa, read that again, David. Till, till we have sinned, Satan is a parasite. Mm. When we have sinned, he is a tyrant. Huh. Oh, souls, the day is at hand when the devil will pull off the paint and garnish that he hath put upon sin and present that monster sin in such a monstrous shape to your souls. That will cause your thoughts to be troubled. Your, con- your countenance to be changed, the joints of your loins to be loosed, and your knees to be dashed against one another, and your hearts to be so terrified that you will be ready with Ahithophel and Judas to strangle and hang your bodies on earth and your souls in hell, if the Lord hath not more mercy on you than he had on them. Oh, therefore, look upon sin now, as you must look upon it to all eternity. And as God, conscience, and Satan will present it to you another day. Man. Good gracious. Dude, that's serious right there. That's... <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, 
Okay, I can't get over that sentence. Till we have sinned, Satan is a parasite. In mm-hmm. other words, like, you know, I think, you know, we think of anything that's parasitic, right? It's like a tick. It or, latches on to you. You know, it latches on a leech, you know, that it, it's, it's an annoyance, but it's not going to. It's not going to kill you outright. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At, at least not. At least not. In, any in a short, normal situation. In any short amount of time. Yeah. But but when you have sinned, he's a tyrant. Mm. He he saying you know Satan said sin and Satan rule over mm-hmm. you in those sins. Golly man, that's just so good. Yeah. And so because of that, Brooks is saying. Strive to see sin for what it really is. Just try to see what sin looks like from God's perspective. You know that we have the Holy Spirit. We've been preaching through Romans 5. And so, you know, we hear, you know, that God's love has been poured into our heart richly through the Holy Spirit, which he has given us, right? So we have the Holy Spirit. And so it is a, it is a completely appropriate and I think really healthy prayer to say, God, help me to see the sin in my life the way you see the sin in my life. Yes. And I think that's exactly what Brooks is going for. If we see our sin that way, we will, and, and we're Christian and we're truly converted, we will run from it. Yes. We will run from it as the monster that it is. Yeah, the only way we don't run from sin is by not taking is when we don't take it seriously enough. Mm-hmm. When we don't look at this thing and say, this thing wants to kill me. It wants to destroy me. Yeah. Either it will die or, <laughs> or I will. will kill me. Yeah, yeah. right. So, uh, to, 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 to paraphrase another Puritan, <laughs> yeah. it be about the business of killing sin or sin will be about the business of killing you. Mm. All right. One more remedy. One more remedy, Let's brother. It. Let's do it. Remedy four. Seriously to consider that even those very sins that Satan paints and puts new names and colors upon cost the best blood, the noblest blood, the life blood, the heart blood of the Lord Jesus. That Christ should come from the eternal bosom of, of his Father to a region of sorrow and death, that God should be manifested in the flesh, the Creator made a creature, that he that, ha- that was clothed with glory should be wrapped with rags of flesh. He that filled heaven and earth with his glory should be cradled in a manger, that the power of God should fly from weak man, the God of Israel, into Egypt, that the God of the law should be subject to the law, the God of the circumcision circumcised, the God that made the heavens working at Joseph's homely trade, that he that binds the devils in chains should be tempted, that he whose is the world and the fullness thereof should hunger and thirst, that the God of strength should be weary, the judge of all flesh condemned, the God of life put to death, that he that is the one with his father should cry out of misery, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That he that had the keys of hell and death at his girdle should lie imprisoned in the sepulcher of another, having his lifetime nowhere to lay his head, nor after death to lay his body, that that head, before which the angels do cast down their crowns, should be crowned with thorns, and those eyes, purer than the sun, put out by the darkness of death, 
those ears which hear nothing but hallelujahs of saints and angels to hear the blasphemies of the multitude. That face that was fairer than the sons of men to be spit on by those beastly wretched Jews. That mouth and tongue that spake as never man spake, accused for blasphemy. Those hands that freely swayed the scepter of heaven, nailed to the cross. Those feet, like unto fine brass, nailed to the cross for man's sins. Each sense annoyed. His feeling or touching with a spear and nails. His smell with stinking flavor. His being crucified about Golgotha, the place of skulls. His taste with vinegar and gall, his hearing with reproaches and sight of his mother and disciples bemoaning him, his soul comfortless and forsaken, and all this for those very sins that Satan paints and puts fine colors upon. Oh, how should the consideration of this stir up the soul against it and work the soul to fly from it and to use all holy means whereby sin may be subdued and destroyed? After Julius Caesar was murdered, Antonius brought forth his coat all bloody and cut and laid it before the people, saying, Look, here you have the emperor's coat thus bloody and torn, whereupon the people were presently in an uproar, and cried out to slay those murderers, and they took their tables and stools that were in the place, and set them on fire, and ran to the houses of them that had slain Caesar, and burnt them. So that, when we consider that sin hath slain our Lord Jesus, ah, how should it provoke our hearts to be revenged on sin? that that hath murdered the glory, the Lord of glory, and hath done that mischief that all the devils in hell could never have done. It was good counsel one gave. Never let go, never let go out of your minds the thoughts of a crucified Christ. Let these be meat and drink unto you. Let them be your sweetness and consolation, your honey and your desire, your reading and your meditation, your life, death, and resurrection, thoughts of a crucified Christ. Let these be meat and drink unto you. Let them be your sweetness and consolation, your honey and your desire, your reading and your meditation, your life, death, and resurrection. There's just not much to add to that. Oh, <laughs> oh I mean, you know, the, 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 the gist of the thing is to consider what sin wrought mm. on the body of Christ and that Christ was desirous to defeat sin. Why then? It's, it's Paul, right? How, how can we who are dead to sin still live in it? Still live in it. Right? Like, that's the question. And so... So I think that you know the, the parting shot for today that that little that little sentence never let go but never let go out of your minds the thoughts of a crucified Christ mm. that to let your mind dwell on Christ is to protect your mind against sin yeah you know and so that's good to think about your sin you know, it's one it's it's one thing to read the crucifixion narratives. It's another thing to read the crucifixion narratives with the mindset that my sin 
yeah. was what did all of this. Yeah, it's the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, right? It was yeah. my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Yeah. Well, what was the it that was accomplished? And the answer is my reconciliation, my justification, my redemption, my purchase, my sonship, my eternity. Those are the things that he purchased with his blood by bearing the wrath that I deserved. And I'm going to then try to just sin so that grace may abound. Mm. You know, I'm stuck in Romans because that's what I'm preaching, right? Mm-hmm. But I just, your mind keeps coming back to, to thinking this is exactly what Paul is, is, is talking about, to, to, to set your mind on things above, yeah. right, where Christ is seated, to, to really meditate on the goodness of Christ and on the work, on the crucifixion. And as you do so, then, then the sin that once looked on the outside to be good will be seen for what it truly is. And yes. that is namely the thing that Christ destroyed through the work of the cross. Yeah. Man. All right. That's a good place to end. That's a great place wow. to end. Man. Well, thank you so much for listening today. That was uh, that was an awesome section, and we got the whole thing done. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this. Hope it's a blessing to you. If it is, would you mind just sharing it with a friend of yours? Maybe just telling them, hey, you got to give this a listen. And uh, and we would, we would greatly appreciate that. If you could leave us a review on whatever... Uh, media you listen to this uh, on, we would be grateful as well. And we will talk again soon. Goodbye.